Welcome back to <laughs> Random Thoughts with Father Adam. <laughs> no, I <don't> it's called. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> You're not on the wrong podcast. This is actually Reading to Rootedness with Father Adam and Emily. Nice. Welcome back. It's been a while, at least for us, to record. Yeah. But we're excited because we have finished Person and Act. Yeah. And that means... We are going on to the second book in the series. And honestly, I'm not even sure I expected us to get fully through Person and Act. Not that I have zero confidence in our reading abilities, because I have lots of confidence. You probably almost said in my reading abilities. (laughs) In our reading abilities. You had no no lack of confidence in your own. More so because I didn't know if we were going to have any takeaways from Person and Act, Uh. because we didn't understand it. And so how would we continue on? But... We did. Hopefully you listened to some of those <laughs> thoughts and conclusions. And now we are moving on to Love and Responsibility, the right. next book in our three-book project. So, Father Adam, how's it going? Oh, it's, <laughs> it's going well. It's going well. How do, how do you feel about where we're at in, in this project? Well, I do think Person Act was... Probably the biggest hurdle. It was difficult to read. It certainly got easier as we learned his language and his style and the kind mm-hmm. of looping style he's got. Constantly looping back to things and but you're just learning his language. It was tough, but already jumping into love and responsibility is easier. It is You know, I was not- surprised though, because I it it was not as easy. As I thought it was really? going to oh. be. I, I didn't think the language as, was as approachable, maybe, as I thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And if I had not read Person and Act prior to, I probably would have had that same difficulty at the beginning, just getting into his language and his style and yeah. Um, yeah. to be able to figure out what he's trying to say. So, yeah, I, I this hasn't been as easy of a read so far as I thought it was going to be. But that is probably why there are actual books that take this content and make it easier to read. (laughs) It still, I think, finds itself safely in the realm of philosophy and, or ethics even in Mm -hmm. some way. And even the introduction to our text, which maybe we should mention which text we're using, but this one, he mentions that it should be read with commentary. It's still that kind of complex even, and developed. I think he's saying, you know, since it came out. Even been, though we're getting commentary already from an editor and a translator. That's what he says. But those, I think, are more <laughs> technical uh, yeah. based on the text itself. So maybe we could talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. This text is an English translation by um, <laughs> Gregor. Ignatic. <laughs> he didn't look up ahead of time how to pronounce Gregor's it. Things we didn't think about. Ignatic from Pauline Books and Media, Pauline Press. Mm-hmm. So, but he, he says he's translating it from the 2001 Lublin edition. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that really matters. Yeah, so, so this one looks like but, a 2013 publishing. So, yeah. So, and, and it's he, the very standard one that I've seen. All over the place. Unlike yeah. Person and Act, where <laughs> that is not very available. I think no. I think this book is widely right. published, and I think it should be easy to find. But some of the notes in here are just... So he says that 
from it was originally published in 1960. There was a different edition, I think, in 1962, and then 2001 edition of it as well. So he says between the those the 60s editions and the 2001 that some stuff was dropped out and some stuff was added by mm-hmm. Caravoitu himself. So I think some of our commentary is just kind of talking about those things and showing kind of what dropped and what added. So less maybe full commentary, but mm-hmm. not that that really matters. Mm-hmm. But that is to say, again, this is still maybe a bit easier language, but not an easy work. This is not right, by any means. popular reading in, in a mm-hmm. way. It takes right. slow, thoughtful reading and combing a little bit. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it would be even more so had we not read Person and Act ahead of yes. time because he's already bringing in terms and or conclusions, which is interesting because yeah. because this was written first. Unless those things are added kind of in the 2001 edition. Oh, possible. Yeah. But, okay. But yes, it very much relies and almost assumes you kind of know what he said in Person and Act. Mm-hmm. Talking about the person and what's going on inside of the person. Right. Which is, oh yeah, I was su- surprised and excited. Yeah, I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> kind of, I read I that. smart. <laughs> yes. Uh, this, I, I think, though, that is such a cool thing that we can already see in this Reading to Rootedness podcast that we started with the appropriate foundation for this book that before you can even think about a person in a relationship you should think about the person themselves and the what is happening in the dynamic interior and how then they should actually be in relationship with another person who has a dynamic interior so yeah, yes. I'm, defense I'm, of our yes. I'm order. glad that we have read it in this order, and I think that was important. So yeah, yeah, yes. But our <laughs> our intent with this particular episode is, which is probably going to be much shorter than our usual, is to very briefly <laughs> introduce love and responsibility before we dive deep. So I think we talked about this in our overall introduction, but. When did JP2 write this? Under what situations did he write this? Don't you love that I've gone back to being the interviewer here? Nice. Interviewee. Uh, Yes. Tell us all about the history of love and responsibility, if you don't mind. Yeah, I got this. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, we know Carvotio was uh, a priest, Mm -hmm. so he worked with young people. What? I know. He was a priest before he was Pope? Wild. Yeah. What? Uh, He (laughs) worked with... Young people, and he worked with couples in marriage prep stuff, and he's actually did a lot to develop marriage preparation stuff in Poland, which really kind of expanded through the work of Vatican II out into the world. So he was on the cutting edge of marriage prep stuff. The stuff, what it was back then was not much, mm-hmm. and so it's kind of a new thing. If you've been through marriage prep recently or seen it, it's, it's what I it is now not, is nothing like, I was, yes. I was speaking <laughs> broadly here. Um <laughs> Nothing like what they had back then. If they had much at all, it was kind of up to each priest to do something. Like my grandparents just sat down one evening with the priest and he said, I know your parents. You guys are good. And that was it. <laughs> okay. So, so question. Yeah. Is every, does every diocese then have a requirement as far as formation before marriage? I assume so. 
Okay. And the ones I, I mean, I'm pretty sure they do. Right. And I'm sure that isn't consistent across the board. Obviously, yeah, I think they're different. But what they require, but but that would not have been the case. No. During this time. I no. Okay. I'm pretty sure that John Paul the mm-hmm. second was kind of on the cutting edge of mm-hmm. working for a diocesan uh, kind of program, so that couples could. Yeah, get prepared for marriage to enter into this vocation because mm-hmm. it's not something you just naturally know everything about. Even though you know, maybe men and women are naturally drawn to each other, that doesn't mean you know how to do finances or raising kids or conflict management, those kind of mm-hmm. things. So it's all geared for that. So he works with young couples. George Weigel in his book *Witness to Hope* talks about Kervoitiwa took a group of students from the Catholic University of Lublin when he was teaching there out on a camping trip. And he took a manuscript of these kind of things with him, and they discussed it. They all argued about it. And I guess part of the thing we'll talk about, too, is he wanted this to be a dialogue. He didn't. He wasn't proposing some kind of Karavoitiwa system mm-hmm. as this kind of truth thing, but his experience of working with couples, his experience of, of his own humanity and conversation with people, drafted this. Then he brought it to his students to have their comments, to for them to bounce it off their own experience and then he would continue to teach there for a few more years and so that was 1957 1958 he was named auxiliary bishop of krakow and then which is part of the thing uh because then in 1960 this was published for the first time mm-hmm. and there was a little bit of pushback that a bishop has written these things about sexual love and the sexual drive and these kind of things but we see that all happening 1960 before the Second Vatican Council, so he's he's preempting some of the things. He's also preempting and thinking about before you know, the sexual revolution stuff mm-hmm. before it's happening, kind of as it's fomenting. He's there talking about these things, bringing Catholic truth to these things, breaking them apart. So that's really interesting, I think. And then in 1968, we get Humanae Vitae in this crisis of understanding contraception and its immorality in the church i don't think love and responsibility deals it directly but very much and it might because we haven't read it yet i don't <laughs> think it does but people used it then as kind of a defense of humanity vitae because mm-hmm. he's taking this I mean, you might say personalist and love approach to the things of marriage where like george weigel say that a lot of the argument in the church before this love and responsibility stuff about marriage was in sex was about the just arguing about the ends of marriage is marriage for procreation is marriage for the good of the spouses is marriage just a aid for concupiscence and jp2 says early in this that the first the primary is procreation which objectifies the sexual drive in marriage the second is the good of the spouses and the third is that concupiscence bit but all of those things really don't work without love mm-hmm. and kind of what that means in the context mm-hmm. of responsibility and persons and all these other things, which mm-hmm. we'll probably get into when we start. Right. But he's bringing this kind of real world thing, of course, because, you know, you talk to a young couple in love and they are not super interested in, I don't know, like their discussions are not going to be <laughs> about the primary ends of marriage <laughs> in this really cold and theological Mm-hmm. discussion mm-hmm. Like they want to know how do i live this well how do i love well what does this mean mm-hmm. and he's speaking to that and speaking to 
yeah, just the, the human experience and our freedom and our affections mm-hmm. and our sensuality and our sentimentality and all those things. Mm-hmm. He's speaking to those things that people actually experience and people actually want to think about and in a way, inviting young couples and anybody, I guess, to reflect on their humanity in that way and not just ignore it yeah. or think it's bad or think it's unimportant even mm-hmm. because we talked about being embodied matters these things that happen in us are god-given and so there's a purpose to them mm-hmm. and how do we understand them and live them well mm-hmm. so a couple of thoughts i had while while you were speaking while i was monologuing right <laughs> random thoughts with father adam it's really cool how jp2 was where he could help the most at the right moment and thinking about you know love and responsibility that was even kind of a little ahead of time that he preceded the sexual revolution and these all of these questions about okay is this really the best way of living and if if you can't give me a more personalistic understanding of these sexual ethics then I don't care and yeah. there's no way or yeah there's no reason I need to live my life like that so he proceeds that, but then with person and act, he's sitting in Vatican II, realizing kind of the undercurrents of everything that's happening and maybe clarifying them in a way that Vatican II doesn't need to and doesn't need to spend time on. <laughs> but he's but he's realizing that these huge sort of conclusions and this call to holiness at, at the base of that is a good understanding of the human person. Um, And the same thing with marriage that, you know, before you can talk about community, before you can talk about even what happens within the home, you have to have a good understanding of the human person. Yeah. Any sort of ethics doesn't make sense if it's not understood within the context of a human person. Um, So yeah, he really was just kind of, at the right place, at the right time, poised with the capabilities to speak well and write well and and the understanding of the human person and ethics that we needed. Yeah. <laughs> we still need. <laughs> yeah. And his willingness to go there uh-huh. where even like Henry de Lubach kind of criticized some of the things in this that mm-hmm. it's kind of below the dignity of a of a mm. bishop to speak about these things. Mm-hmm. So he was not careful too, was not afraid to to go there. And certainly saw the need, which would mm-hmm. of course be very obvious when I mean, the sexual revolution explodes and the church mm-hmm. doesn't have a lot of answer to it. Mm-hmm. So then also, so you have him there, but then the fact that he gets elected Pope <laughs> so that these things which might have stayed a mm-hmm. bit obscure from mm-hmm. this Polish bishop really hit the world stage and then theology of the body of course being maybe the the fruition the fulfillment of mm-hmm. these this whole project of mm-hmm. what he was is very public mm-hmm. and like before the world and us american catholics mm-hmm. are reading this stuff mm-hmm. that wouldn't have happened necessarily if right. if he wasn't this is a real but, example of god providing the saints that the church needs because not even just in his 
theology of the body and this whole understanding, but also in his experiences directly with communism and the Cold War and being able to lead the church through that. I mean, how, how much more could could God have given in a person yeah. to be the right person to lead the church at this time? Yeah. Uh, well, and I do think Weigel speaks about communism being a bit of a catalyst for these things because mm-hmm. the communists were pushing uh, young people to experiment sexually, criticizing the church for its understanding of marriage and, and premarital sex and just these things. And so he was trying to respond to those things to give his people he's working with mm-hmm. a good understanding of what the church believes and why it is good mm-hmm. to to follow these things. So he was intellectually combating some of these moves by the communists. So in a way, they brought out of him mm-hmm. what uh, what the world needed mm-hmm. uh, in, in a number of ways, not just the kind of sexual morality way, but mm-hmm. it's amazing how that works, right? And this is a little preemptive, but I love the fact that person and act ends with the commandment to love. Yeah. And then love and responsibility almost immediately starts with the commandment to love. Yep. And that's really important if you're trying to present this beautiful narrative and understanding to counter what, you know, the communist ideology has put out into the world, but also to to expand upon, you know, ethics is not just a list of no's. Like, there is... A, a reason behind that that is tied to the human experience that and it's it's important so yeah 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 anyway. yeah for sure mm-hmm. which maybe ties a bit to why we are doing this again yeah. I think we sp- we spoke about that in the beginning but <clears throat> Emily <laughs> no <laughs> uh, this is briefly, the, why why this is actually, why do we care to do this this is actually the harder question i feel like <laughs> why do we care to read this yeah, in the same way that people probably, well, did question JP2 about, you know, why is a bishop caring about marriage in this way? And and what, maybe, what right does he have to speak on marriage in this yeah. way? <laughs> uh, which he has a very good answer to. But I, I, I feel in the same sense that that question was almost like, you know, what, what do we have to gain from this book when neither of us are married (laughs) um yes excellent question (laughs) so i I guess the primary reason is once again this reading to rootedness podcast i think this is the proper trajectory for understanding the world around us that we start with a person then we move to the person in relationship, especially with just one other person. And then you can kind of move to the person in community, person in society. Are you hinting at where we're going now? <laughs> I guess theology of the body is not the person in community person. But, you know, yes, I think someday that is the, the idea. But particularly within our role at a university, obviously our students are quite interested in relationships and in dating. And um, even our Catholic students who have had years and years 
immersed, maybe even if they didn't know it, in a JP2 sort of understanding of the human person and the human body and morality, I think it is still good for us to really be able to engage with that topic with a full understanding of his work and of his project and of his philosophy and all those things. So particularly, perhaps to support our students, Father Adam in a more, you know, official role, helping couples through formation. (laughs) (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Yes. Um, But just in general, I think us having a better understanding of this and the ways that we can incorporate that into our ministry, even if not overtly intellectually, (laughs) I think will be really beneficial for this campus and for our students. So that is another reason. Yeah. And I think it just because this is about marriage or sexual love doesn't mean there isn't something that we can learn from that because I have full confidence that at the heart of his understanding of this, once again, is an understanding of the human person in relationship. And that applies to friendships. Yeah, that I do think he to, talks a lot about the virtue of friendship in mm-hmm. in marital relationships, mm-hmm. but that, of course, has friendships mm-hmm. broadly. It's going to apply to friendships broadly. Right. And I think that applies to vocational yep. work in any sort of way. I think that applies to that universal call to motherhood and fatherhood that we all have, regardless of vocation. So, yes, I think there are a lot of reasons we are excited to dive deep into this. And I would add, even culturally, there's a lot of talk about love. And my Uh, my favorite slogan is that love is love, Uh. which is obvious and says nothing. But Mm -hmm. what is love? Well, Yeah, certainly understanding the human person is an important part of entering the conversations that we're having culturally with those kind of things, gay marriage and transgenderism and, and just marriage. <laughs> so just in general. <laughs> the person is very important to those conversations and embodiment is important to those conversations. And what is love? And we use it all the time culturally. But I, and I, I do think this might be one of the best books we can go to to really enter into the to the question, like, what actually is it? Is it just for me? Mm-hmm. Is it just an animal response mm-hmm. of things going on inside of me? Mm-hmm. Or is there something more? Mm-hmm. Is there a call there? Is there a something that demands of me? Right. And, 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 and if love is such a natural thing to all of us, then what what is the purpose of it? Like, how do we find happiness through love? How do we find fulfillment through love, even if people are not asking those questions specifically. Yeah. I think we're all trying to look for that, so it matters. Yeah. What more do you want to say, Father Adam? We could say we were trying to figure out how we're going to structure our episodes going forward. Mm. And so this book is a little bit different than Person and Act. Person and Act had in an introduction and seven chapters that were all basically the same size. Uh-huh. So it was easy to chunk <laughs> it, it up. really well. <laughs> uh, however, we do think the structure might be a little bit different for love and responsibility because the chapters are different lengths and mm-hmm. some 
maybe things we'll spend less time on and some might be worth a lot more time. So Mm -hmm. the structure might be not so clear cut, Mm -hmm. but we think would be best. We're going to kind of try to figure out what's just best for good conversation and learning on our part to root ourselves in these things and kind of what what it benefits us and what so and i'm sure we can come back at the end when we have recorded this and kind of mark out okay this first podcast episode is this page to this page this chapter to this chapter however we want to do it so right yeah we'll we'll figure it out (laughs) we won't leave you behind (laughs) it'll be great so I think that kind of captures it for an introduction, and now we just got to jump into the text. So continue reading on with us, and we will begin with... We'll next time do chapter one, which has two In parts. its entirety. Yes. At least we will try. That's what we're going for, mm-hmm. and we'll see how it plays out from there. Yeah. But <laughs> thanks for joining us again on Reading to Rootedness. Bye. Peace. So long. And blessings on your way. Farewell. Vita <laughs> Sane. Goodbye. Bye, Candios. <laughs> <laughs> okay, goodbye. <laughs>